Hey y'all, my name is Cliff Watson, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of Emerging, the official podcast of the Trout Unlimited Costa Five Rivers Program, brought to you by Sims Fishing Products. Today we talk to Hannah Leonard, the Outreach Coordinator of Sporting Lead Free. Hannah is an avid hunter and angler who is working hard to make our environment free from lead. Sporting Lead Free is a non-political, educational initiative working to reduce inadvertent lead consumption through the voluntary choice of lead-free ammunition or tackle. We talked about alternative options to lead, the dangers of lead, and how you can make a difference. We hope you enjoy the show, and if you have any questions, be sure to send them to fiverivers at tu.org. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. Hey, Hannah. Welcome to Emerging. We're super happy to have you here. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us a little about yourself, and we'll get along with the show. Hey, uh, my name is Hannah Leonard, and I am currently serving as the outreach coordinator for a new Wyoming-based initiative called Sporting Lead Free. I'm originally from Missoula, Montana, and so obviously love to fly fish and um, have served on the board for the Missoula West Slope chapter of Trout Unlimited. And then I'm actually currently serving as the vice president of the Teton Valley Trout Unlimited. Um, I currently find myself residing in Victor, Idaho, and I work over the hill in uh, Wilson, Wyoming. So that's a little bit about me. Awesome. Did you grow up fishing and fly fishing or was that something you, you started doing later? So um, I love this question (laughs) because when I was little, um, my dad on a whim, you know, midlife crisis decided to get a sailboat up at Flathead Lake, which is um, a big lake up in Montana. And um, my favorite thing to do was to take my Tweety Bird um, pole, you know, a little spin rod pole um, out and catch perch in the marina, which was probably the most disgusting fish ever to catch. Cause they're just like covered in gasoline from all the, the boats. Yep, yep. <laughs> but, um, so that's, that's kind of where I got started, but then I didn't get into fly fishing until, um, college I actually took a women's fly fishing course because I was like, this is something I should do. I live in Montana, born and raised in Missoula, but my whole family is from Pennsylvania. Um, Philadelphia kind of more specifically. So they weren't that kind of, um, hook and bullet family. You know, they, Mm -hmm. they were more kayakers, mountain bikers, climbers, that sort of thing. And so, um, had to take it upon myself and, uh, put my Tweety bird rod aside (laughs) and picked up a fly rod in college and, and haven't looked back since. That's great. Where did you go to school? I went to the University of Montana in Missoula. So my undergrad is in marketing. And then um, I recently, last year, finished a master's in resource conservation. So I've kind of got a very polarized um, degree. You know, a lot of people blame all the resource issues on marketing. And so that's (laughs) I'm trying to, as my advisor and I say, use the dark arts for good. So <laughs> yep, that's great. Do you find you use uh, your degree in your in your job in the everyday, you know, day to day of sporting lead free? You know, I actually do, which I think um, is I'm very lucky to do that because I know a lot of my friends and colleagues went to school for something and they're working in something else. But I definitely think having my unique pairing of marketing and starting this new initiative in Wyoming um And pairing that with my resource conservation background, especially knowing that the topic that I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit, it's um, a little bit um, wicked, as they say. It's a hard problem to solve. And so having that background in um, human dimensions of resource conservation paired with marketing and how to reach those people um, has really been a golden ticket for me. Awesome. And then you mentioned hook and bullet, right? So are are you a hunter as well? I am. Um, I started hunting in graduate school. So (laughs) started fishing in in my undergrad and then hunting in graduate school. Um, and I, it kind of, I guess took over my life because now my, my day job is educating hunters and anglers about using, um, lead free in the field. And so, um, not only do I get to 
use my degree every day, but I also get to talk to other people who like to get out there and be outside and, and fish and hunt and do all those those fun things like that. That's great. So what's your favorite fish to target and favorite animal to hunt? Oh, these are some good questions. <laughs> I would say, man, um, I think my favorite fish to catch would be high alpine lake brook trout Oh, nice! because I feel like so many people don't hike in their fly rod because they just assume there's no fish way up high in those lakes that were, you know, stocked a long time ago, mm-hmm. um, with brook trout. And so they're just feisty. They're so fun to catch. And then, um, I also really love catching grayling cause they're like mermaids, you know? Um, yeah, that's, the, I think those would be my my two favorite fish to catch. My dream fish is catching a rooster fish, which oh, obviously yeah. I'm going to have to go down south for that. Um, but that's a goal. So if anyone's listening and they have some <laughs> some hints on <laughs> on where to go, when to go, and all that, um, please let me know. And then um, hunting wise, I am all over the place. So I've harvested a whitetail buck, um, and then some pheasant in my life. Um, really tried hard to get elk a lot. Um, but they, they're hard to find. And, and now in, in our new wildlife, um, arena there, they might be even harder to find. Um, so anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm still learning. I mean, that's, I guess my favorite part about fishing and hunting is that you can never, you're never the master. You're always the one learning. You're always the grasshopper. So, um, I love, I love that aspect of those two activities. Absolutely. That's, that's really cool. What is your, your family that is, you know, less into the hook and bullet. What do they think about your, your hobbies? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, I would say, so when I first got into fishing, you know, my dad just was like, Oh yeah, whatever. That's fine. Um, my mom is terrified that I'm like hurting the fish. You know, I'm, I'm a catch and release fisher woman. Um, so it's been fun, you know, to take her out and have her kind of panic and then show her proper fish handling and keep them wet, keep your hands wet, that sort of thing. Um, and then when I got into hunting, um, my dad, <laughs> he, he called me a Bubba cause you know, we all, <laughs> you know, if we're not in that, we don't grow up in that world, right? Like most people perceive hunters as these kind of, um, Elmer Fudd type folks. And what I've loved about getting into this community is learning that just like any community, there's a spectrum and there's so many awesome like-minded hunters out there like myself and trying to, you know, educate, re-educate my dad and let him know that, Hey, you know, we're not all out here just like, you know, firing willy nilly, you know, we really care about these animals and we really care about this landscape and preserving, you know, these waters and this habitat. And, um, that's, that's been really fun. And now my dad has gotten into upland bird hunting and he even has himself a little, um, golden retriever bird dog. So, um, I don't know if I can take credit for getting him into that, but, um, I've tried to get him into fishing. He does not have the patience for tying on flies. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll keep trying on that one, but he's, he's certainly into upland. That's, that's great. Um, one thing we love to talk about on this podcast is dogs and you mentioned your dad's dog. Do you have a dog by any chance? I do. He's, he's actually under my feet as we speak. Okay. Um, nice. His name is Cedar. Oh, <laughs> like that's a good name. Okay. And, uh, he's 10. I've had him since he was a puppy. He was kind of one of those, um, at the time went with my roommate to look at a bunch of puppies and didn't think I was going to get a dog. And then, uh, he sat on my foot uh-huh. and, uh, now he's at my side all the time, 24 seven, pretty much. So he's a German shepherd chocolate lab mix. Okay. Um, so he's 90 pounds of just full goof. So <laughs> that's yeah. great. That's great. Well, let's get into the, the details about sporting lead free and everything. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your origin story with the movement and what sort of got you hooked into wanting to be a part of, of this mission to make sporting lead free for, for everybody. So why don't you go ahead and tell us that? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said earlier, I'm the outreach coordinator for sporting lead free, which is a Wyoming based initiative focused on educating the greater community of hunters and anglers about using lead-free alternatives in the field. So um, I guess I should back up and just kind of explain to why 
that's something that's important and why this initiative exists and then let you know how I got into it. So um, what a lot of people don't realize and I didn't realize is that there are different tools that we use in hunting and fishing that end up causing harm to non-target species. So for example, when we're big game hunting and using rifle ammunition, center fire and rim fire rifle ammunition, most of that is made with lead. And when you shoot an animal with a lead bullet, it does its job. It mushrooms on impact when it penetrates that animal. But what a lot of people don't realize is that as it's mushrooming, it's actually losing these small fragments of lead along that entire wound channel. And so, you know, us as, as hunters, you know, we're field dressing. We know, you know, we when we bring it home to process it, we're making sure we're not feeding bloodshot meat to our families, right? Um, but what we leave behind in the field in our gut piles, or if we have unretrieved game, both, you know, for upland and big game hunting, those tiny lead fragments or for upland hunting, for example, those, those lead um, pellets, that becomes an easy unintended meal for a bird of prey like a golden eagle, bald eagle, some owls, hawks, that sort of thing. And so um, my job in knowing that is to then go and educate folks and say, hey, did you know that when we go hunting – we, you know, have our target species, but then we also might be impacting these other species that we all love and care about. You know, who doesn't love seeing an eagle fly around them or spot, you know, a red tail hawk um, hunting? And so, um, and then fishing too, I should mention to bring in all the sports. So that's kind of unique to sporting lead free is we not only focus on big game hunting, but upland hunting, turkey hunting, and then all types of fishing, both um, spin and fly fishing. So in fishing, we use split shot to get our flies down, you know, our streamers or our nymphs down. And a lot of times that split shot is made out of lead. A lot of times when we lose our setup mm-hmm. that is then now in the bottom of the river and birds like loons and other um, water bird species ducks um, herons that sort of thing um, but loons and ducks specifically they dive down to the bottom of lakes and rivers to pick up pebbles and food and all that to help their digestion and split shot looks exactly like a rock and they're not going to be able to tell the difference they get lead ingested and um, they can succumb to lead poisoning from that and then with with lures, jigs, streamers, and nymphs, those are mimicking, again, a food source for these birds. So they're going to ingest that thinking they're getting a nice tasty meal and then end up getting um, lead poisoning. There was a recent article um, up on Flathead Lake, which I was talking about earlier with my Tweety Bird rod, um, that a trumpeter swan um, got lead poisoning. So um, it's an issue that is impacting a lot of different species. It's a human caused issue and we have a human solution. So, um, that's why we exist because right. we, you know, as a hunter, as an angler, I want to keep this tradition going and I want to know that I'm a steward of my environment. Um, you know, I'm a conservationist hunter. So I know that when I go out hunting and I use a lead free bullet or when I go fishing and I know I've tied my streamer with lead free wire, I know that you know, my impact on the environment is less so. Um, and, and I can do that with all of that knowledge. So our initiative is all about education. It's all about informing. We're not into policies. We're not into regulating. Um, we just want to get the word out there and, and have people make those informed decisions. And so my origin story <laughs> with sporting lead free, um, again, I said, I started hunting in graduate school And, um, I had briefly heard a presentation about, um, how lead impacts, um, both humans and wildlife during a backcountry hunters and anglers, um, student chapter presentation, but it wasn't something that at the time I didn't really fully understand hunting enough to really understand what that information was telling me. And so fast forward a couple years and I'm out hunting on a block management area, which is, um, private landowners giving access to the public during hunting season. Um, It's a state partnership program. Super awesome. Support those landowners as best as you can. Um, Anyway, so I'm hunting on this block management area and I'm, you know, I'm no um, ornithologist. I don't know a ton about birds, even though I'm, I work um, in that kind of realm. Um, And I come across this golden eagle and it doesn't flush. And, you know, I know enough that, 
a bird of prey that size not flushing when a human sees it, there's something wrong. And um, I, you know, kept trying to slowly approach it to see, you know, was it injured? Was it trapped on something? What was going on? Why wasn't it flying away? And my neighbor was working at Wild Skies Raptor Rescue at the time, which is um, in, it's close to Missoula, Montana. And uh, she contacted Brooke, who then contacted me. And we, I was able to capture the bird with my hunting partner and um, hand it off to the Raptor Rescue Network. And, and for me, I was thinking, oh, okay, like, you know, maybe it was electrocuted, like, I don't know didn't really know much. Um, she ends up calling me that night and says, well, she had lead poisoning. I said, what are you talking about lead poisoning? She says, well, you're hunting on a block management area. There's a lot of gut piles from successful hunters left out there. And that is a great meal for these scavenging birds to, to feast on. So here I am, like all of these thoughts, I'm in graduate school for resource conservation. I'm new to hunting. I'm, you know, I, an animal lover, you know, so I'm having like all of these mixed emotions. And then, um, you know, she tells me this information and I had a lead bullet chambered in my rifle at that time. And so right in that moment, I was like, I need to change my behavior. I need to learn everything I can about this and become an advocate for this cause. And so I was connected with, um, Mike McTee. He's a researcher on the MPG ranch, which again is a, um, research based ranch in Montana. So all of my stories kind of come from Montana cause <laughs> born and raised. Um, anyway, and he interviews me about my experience with this golden Eagle. Um, and she unfortunately did not make it. Her blood lead levels were so severe that she couldn't go through what's called a chelation treatment. It's kind of like chemotherapy, okay. um, where this chemical binds with the lead and like washes, I'm doing air quotes, washes <laughs> out of the blood. Um, anyway, so she was not strong enough to make it through that treatment. She didn't make it, um, which is the case for the majority of, of, um, birds that become, um, lead poison. So, um, I learned about lead free ammunition, immediately switched to doing that. And then when I finished my master's program, um, you know, I'm still on my, on my own time advocating for this, right. Learning about, you know, lead and fishing tackle, all of my ties, that ties, lies that I tie now are made with lead-free wire. And, um, I send out when I graduate, I send out an email like, Hey, somebody please hire me. Um, <laughs> I'm a poor graduate student in need of employment. And, um, Mike McTee, who I'd mentioned had interviewed me about my experience, um, with the leaded golden Eagle. He's we have this colleague down in Wyoming that's trying to start this initiative. I think this might be a great fit given your background in marketing and your knowledge, your personal experience and knowledge with this issue. And then knowing that I just finished my master's in resource conservation. So I call up, um, Brian who works at the Teton Raptor center and, um, we do the interviews and, has me come down and, and visit everybody, meet everybody. Again, this is like amidst COVID, right? Mm -hmm. So it's still <laughs> meeting everybody under, you know, cover of mask. Yep. And um, long story long, um, I get hired for my current position. That's awesome. And how long ago was that? So I was hired almost a year ago. Okay. Um, I think March 15th was my, wow. <laughs> my start date. So I'm coming up on a year. That's great. How have things been going so far? Do you love it? Or are you really happy with it? I, I am so lucky in the fact that I can say that I love my job. Wow. Um, like I was saying earlier, not only do I get to talk to people in the community, but I get to educate them on an important topic and really make those connections and, and know that a lot of these hunters and anglers, it's, you're just not, they're not aware. And so knowing that I can provide this little nugget of information to change um, their behavior is awesome. And I haven't been chased off anyone's property yet, you know, <laughs> with a shotgun or anything like that, because it is, it is a hot button issue. Um, a lot of, of folks in, you know, the hunting, specifically hunting world, they're afraid that, you know, if somebody comes in talking about switching to lead free options, that it's a step in, in and the government telling us what we can put in our, in our rifles. And mm -hmm. then that's another step closer to um, gun control, which, you know, in the hunting community, it does have a, a little bit of a 
conservative lean to it. And so that's, that's kind of a, like I said, a hot button topic. And so that's where we're really trying to lead with information and education and empathy, knowing that people don't know about this issue and making it the fact that it's, you know, I'm a hunter, I'm an angler. I know where they're coming from. Um, I grew up in Montana, you know, I know how people think and how they go about living their lives in the West. And so, um, really just coming at it in that way has been received really well. Um, and we've been so pleased, you know, we sporting lead free publicly launched in May of 2021. And so we're still a very, very new initiative. And the fact that we have had, um, as much success in, in what we've been doing thus far has just been really humbling and really exciting for me. And, um, I couldn't, I couldn't ask for a better job. Good, good. Well, you said a lot there that I really want to get back to and touch on. Um, one thing that I want to start with is the the education over legislation, right? And that's that's very prominent on prominent on your website as well. And uh, I think it's a great point because you're absolutely right that the hunting community and the gun rights community kind of go hand in hand sometimes. And it's a great idea to make sure that you know, those stakeholders, their opinion is taken into account. Um, now getting into that, am I correct in thinking that, um, lead was outlawed for waterfowl hunting? Um, a couple of years, how long ago was that? Yeah. So, um, lead was banned for waterfowl hunting in 1991. Okay. So 30 years ago. And that was a result of waterfowl population. So migratory bird populations, essentially getting decimated, um, by lead poisoning. Mm. And so they were, scientists were able to correlate, you know, lead shot from shotguns for waterfowl hunting. And then like I explained before how ducks and, and certain water birds, they'll dive down, you know, grab rocks, grit, it's called grit, but it's rocks, pebbles, sand, split shot, spent shot, Mm -hmm. um, and use that in their digestion. And so when that happened, um, different states earlier than 91 had mandated it on certain like state land or um, other states just kind of flat out mandated it. And it wasn't federally mandated until 91. And the unfortunate thing with that mandate, it's awesome for our wildlife, but for our hunters, they, you know, that was a big thing. Right. And a lot of people don't know that weren't alive during that time. They don't know that you can only shoot lead shotgun shells out of a lead barrel, which, you know, at the time, most shotgun shells and barrels were meant for lead. Right. And so all of these waterfowl hunters had to get all new firearms. So I'm sure the firearm companies were like, yeah, this is great. Um, you know, but the cool thing now, um, with advancements in technology, there are alternatives to lead, um, for shotguns. So bismuth, tungsten, Mm -hmm. copper plated bismuth, and you can shoot bismuth out of a lead-only barrel. So people who haven't, you know, gone duck hunting since 91 because they're, you know, upset about this this law or somebody who's been handed down their, their grandmother's, mm-hmm. um, going for the women, let's go girls, um, <laughs> <laughs> their grandmother's shotgun, now they can actually go and hunt with it. And so... Um, you know, that's been a cool, cool wave as well. And, and seeing how technology has improved that, that ability, that access, but yeah, so 91 federally mandated, no waterfowl hunting. Right. Um, I believe 2019 and I'm sure hopefully a listener will fact check me on this. 2019 is when California statewide banned lead ammunition, lead tackle, like all okay. of anything lead. California is a big no. And so that is because the California condors are extremely sensitive and extremely vulnerable to lead poisoning from, uh, gut piles spent ammunition. And so that is, you know, now in California, you can only hunt with lead free ammunition, which for a lot of folks in California, they have all sorts of other kinds of stipulations. They can't buy ammunition online. They have to have, um, all their ammunition registered. It's, it's kind of causing this, this, I don't know what to call ripple effect of mm-hmm. people fearing this lead free movement, right? Cause they've, they're seeing what's happening in California. And 
that the, the fortunate thing that did come out of that happening in California is most major um, ammunition manufacturers for both um, upland and uh, big game hunting, they have lead-free alternatives now in their whole slew of ammunition. So that's been really cool. That's been great. That technology has been improving every year. Um, Hornady just came out with a new um, monolithic, which monolithic means just this, the one metal okay. um, bullet and it's a copper bullet and um, it's supposedly the best of the best out there. <laughs> I haven't got my hands on it yet to test it, but um, yeah, so that's, those are kind of two extreme examples of why we really want to focus on education and not legislation because we don't want to have that backlash from the hunting and angling communities. We don't want to have to tell people what to do when we can make the choice ourselves if we're given the information. And, um, you know, those timelines, like we have known that lead has caused poisoning in um, humans and wildlife for I think like 2000 years or something like that, some incredibly long time. And so if you take that into account of like, I think the first um, waterfowl lead poisoning detection was in like 1854 or something. I have to, should have these numbers in front of me, but a long time ago. And then it took up until 91 for legislation to go through about it. Like that timeline just, it's so long. And so if we can just be ahead of it, be on top of it and make our own decisions so that we don't have to be told what to do, that's our ultimate goal. We just want people to be informed, make good choices for them and their families and um, go out there and enjoy the outdoors. That's what this is about. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I, I love the aspect of education over legislation because as you were hinting at the end there, legislation can be slow and clunky and can create really strong partisan divides between people when they don't necessarily need to exist. So I think that's a great tactic. Um, a little bit of like a biological slash medical question, but do you know what it is about lead that causes animals, you know, like what happens that kills them, I guess? Yeah. So again, I'm not an ornithologist, but I'll give you my um, layman's understanding of this. Perfect. So lead in its in its solid form, right? So that's what we find in tackle and ammunition. Um, typically if you're, if you hold it, you can get some sort of absorption through your skin. Um, very minimal. However, when you shoot a bullet and it fragments and it's in these tiny pieces, that is when that lead becomes really easily soluble and lead becomes soluble in an acid. And what is ours and animals stomachs, mm-hmm fluid it's it's acidic right and so um birds in particular have a really acidic digestive system because they're you know trying to digest bones and seeds and all kinds of you know stuff scavengers you know in particular they're eating all sorts of crazy stuff you see them on the side of the road you're like oh my god i can't eat that um which I guess now in Wyoming, you, you can actually legally pick up roadkill and, um, bring it home to eat, um, which is like a cool new thing. Um, anyway, side note. Um, (laughs) so because birds have such an acidic digestive system, when they ingest that lead, it becomes so much more readily absorbed. And when it's in those tiny fragments, it's so much more readily absorbed. So think about if like you're trying to eat a giant T-bone steak, versus like a meatball Mm -hmm. like that analogy like you're able to (laughs) eat the i'm pretending your mouth is your digestive system and the like cuts of meat are the pieces of lead right so like the big steak is like um a bullet a whole bullet and the meatball is a fragment and so that your digestive system is so much more easily going to consume that meatball than it is that t-bone steak and so that's why these lead fragments and these lead um, pellets, whether it's split shot or BBs from um, shotgun shells, that's where it's so readily absorbed with these with these birds. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a, a, a great analogy, the meatball T-bone steak. Took a little bit, but I got there by the end of it. So I'm, I'm on board with that one. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so switching gears a little bit, but let's talk about some alternatives. And you've talked a little bit about this Um what are, you know, let's, we'll do hunting first. What are the best alternatives for somebody that likes to, you know, shoot upland bird and then somebody that likes to hunt big game? Um, what would you, what would you recommend for them? 
Absolutely. So someone who is shooting big game, so um, deer, elk, antelope, bison, um, moose, if you're so lucky, mm-hmm. um, the best alternative on the market right now is copper. So copper bullets are a fully solid bullet. You'll hear people say monolithic. Again, that just means one one thing, mono. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the best alternative on the market right now for, for big game. There's also um, some companies, Norma, for example, um, came out with a tin bullet, which um, I actually just ordered some. I'm going to see how those perform. Um, so those... Copper is primarily for big game. Um, that's the alternative. Um, rimfire, like 22s, it's also copper. Um, and then for upland hunting, so if you're out there chasing pheasants, grouse, chucker, um, doves, all of the above, um, we have a couple different options. So there's bismuth, mm-hmm. tungsten, steel, and copper-plated bismuth. And um, all of those are great. Uh, tungsten is very expensive. Mm-hmm. And this is, I should note too, this is one of the biggest, I would say, boundaries or barriers to folks switching is that those alternatives do tend to be just slightly more expensive. So um, for big game ammunition, anyone who's been trying to buy ammunition anytime in the last year has seen that there's a shortage of ammunition and prices have just skyrocketed. I'm really crossing my fingers and hoping that as supplies um, post COVID kind of normalize that we'll go back to <laughs> not having to pay $70 for a box of ammunition, but pre COVID, cause that's how we have to do our metrics. Cause everything post COVID is a disaster, but um, pre COVID a box of lead free rifle ammunition would probably be about four to five dollars more than your premium lead and sometimes in some cases your premium lead ammunition so like a nosler acubond um that's going to be just as if not more expensive than say like your barnes fully monolithic copper bullet so it all it all kind of depends but for me i am happy to spend that extra money knowing that what i'm leaving in the field and also what i'm bringing home to my myself and my, I don't have kids, so <laughs> but myself and my friends and my family, um, that that's all safe for me to eat. And I'm fine, you know, spending that extra money to do that. Um, and then back to Upland, so the tungsten's the most expensive of those alternatives, then bismuth and then steel. So steel is primarily what replaced lead for waterfowl hunting way back when, um, 30 years ago. And, um, a lot of people didn't like steel because they felt like it crippled more birds. It didn't kill um, as many birds as lead did. Um, there's so many arguments across the board for that. Um, some people say people are just a bad shot. Um, you're out shooting your shotgun. Anyway, <laughs> there's, there's so much debate. There's so many wormholes. I constantly go down them, um, have to be pulled out. My boss is always like, what? Get out of that wormhole. Um Anyway, so, and then the last one I wanted to mention too is the copper plated bismuth. So that's relatively new on the market and, um, companies like federal, um, are doing a copper plated, but, um, boss shot shells. So that's B O S S boss. Um, they have so many cool things that they do as, as an, as a company, but the coolest thing that they did on the market, they were the first ones to copper plate bismuth. And so they're getting it so dang close to lead and some will argue better than lead, um, for both waterfowl and upland that they're such a cool company. And the gentlemen who run that, um, are just incredible human beings. And they really, they initially designed it for waterfowl hunters because they didn't want to see the crippling loss that was happening with steel. And they wanted something that you could shoot out of your old lead barrel and be fine. And, um, it's, I tell you what, like the people who I've seen shoot boss, I've shot boss, it is lethal. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, not to give too much of like a shout out, but like, you know, if you're looking for, um, a really awesome waterfowl or upland alternative, check out boss shot shells. Um, they don't sell at retailers. They just sell direct to consumer. Um, so check them out. Give him a shout out. Tell him Sporting Lead Free sent you. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to need a scout. (laughs) Yeah. 
That's great. No, I a couple of the people I work with swear by and only shoot Boss Shot Shells. And um, I've heard them on their soapbox many times before. And sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, here we go again. We're talking about Boss. But it is a really cool company. Um, so I'm glad you I'm glad you threw that out there because that's great. And then also I was poking around on the website before the, the call here. And I watched a video y'all did of um, ballistic gel. And you shot it with yes. a lead shot and a copper bullet, right? Um, mm-hmm. And there's a couple of things to talk about here. Number one is that really cool x-ray machine that y'all have. And then also just the fact that the lead bullet goes in and just totally fragments everywhere. And I encourage everybody to take a look at this. Um, I'll include a link to the video in the show notes, but I was really amazed at at how the copper bullet stayed together perfectly. You know, it's still mushroomed, right? So it pushed a big cavity through, but it didn't, you know, just totally shatter inside the animal. So why don't you go ahead and talk about the x-ray machine and, and maybe a little bit about that right there. Yeah. So thanks for that too. Cause our, we worked hard on those videos and, and they were pretty fun to shoot. Um, so what you're talking about, and I'll try to describe this since we're on a podcast and not in video. So <laughs> bear with me if I have to describe some hand signals as I'm flailing back here. Um, so what we do when we do these shooting demonstrations, the purpose is to show participants the difference between the performance of lead ammunition and copper ammunition, because you'll commonly hear when somebody starts talking to anybody who's been hunting forever about switching to copper, they'll be like, oh, it's not as effective. It's not as accurate. Like, no, that's just a green trend. That's baloney. And we love those people because we <laughs> are like, cool, come with us to the shooting range. Let's blow some stuff up and <laughs> show you how these are different. And so um, with the ballistics gel in particular, imagine a giant um, cube rectangle of jello. That's essentially what it is. Um, it's a little bit more dense. And what ballistics gelatin does is it mimics tissue, so soft tissue for humans, animals, you name it. So this is what the, the gels that we use are the ones that the FBI uses to, um, test their, um, firearms. And so it's, it's to mimic that tissue. Um, but it does feel and look like gelatin. Don't taste it. It's probably full of toxic, toxic (laughs) stuff. Um, but it is quite fun to like poke your finger through anyway. So (laughs) the reason we use that is because we want to mimic what a bullet does when it enters your target animal, whether that's, you know, a deer, elk, antelope, whatnot. So when you shoot with lead, like you explained, what happens is as soon as that bullet and, and hunting bullets are all designed pretty similarly, as soon as that bullet leaves the muzzle of your gun and it hits your target, it penetrates your target, it starts to mushroom out. And just picture a mushroom, like any old mushroom on your emoji on your phone. That aspect, that technology to mushroom out, what that's doing is that's creating more surface area. So as that bullet goes through your animal creating that wound channel, that surface area of that mushroomed expanded bullet is causing more internal damage, um, and more, a more lethal kill, right? If you just like shot it with a pencil and the pencil went right through, um, a lot of that soft tissue would, you know, expand and then re reclose and you wouldn't get, um, an ethical lethal shot. And so what happens with a lead bullet when it is shot, it mushrooms as it's traveling through the cavity. So check out our video Mm -hmm. as it's traveling through the cavity. It is dispersing these tiny lead fragments all the way along that wound channel. So all the way through that animal. And most of that is contained within the wound channel, right? So the stuff you're not going to eat because it's all bloodshot, but those little fragments of lead can travel up to 18 inches from that that main wound channel. So those are the ones that we, you know, want to think about when we're bringing meat home to our families. So that's what lead does. Mm -hmm. Copper, on the other hand, the way it is designed, because it's just one solid thing, it's not a lead core. So I should also explain. So lead core bullets, the inside is lead and typically the outside is jacketed with with a thin layer of copper. Okay. And so a lot of people will say, oh, I'm shooting copper bullets. My bullets are copper. And it's like, no, no, no. They're just copper jacketed. Mm-hmm. But internal, it's still lead. So 
copper bullets, the whole thing inside and out is just a one solid dang piece of copper. And when that same, same thing happens when it is shot out of your, out of your gun. And we're talking big game here, um, rifle hunting, it hits your target. It starts to mushroom. Um, some bullets are designed to have what's called like a delayed expansion. Cause you don't necessarily want your expansion to start right when you hit it. Cause then it's going to have resistance, right? You're talk about, I don't know, was this middle school, high school physics, like surface area resistance. Um, so a lot of them will have what's called a ballistics tip. It's that little plastic blue, green, orange tip you'll see on the tip of, um, a ton of ammunition. It used to just be copper, but now it's copper and lead. Anyway, that, that tip helps in expansion. So it helps kind of create that delay and then open it up. So again, copper mushrooms. And then what happens is instead of having what lead does with all these little fragments flying off, it just petals. So it kind of just, I'm trying to think, so it's a more beautiful mushroom. <laughs> it's a more symmetrical <laughs> mushroom. I'm trying to think of like another shape that it's similar to, but mushrooms the closest. So it expands, right? And it creates four to six petals depending on um, the ammunition you're using. And those petals are very sharp. And as your your bullet is going through, those petals are intact and they are creating this intense wound channel. And all of those little petals are, you know, making those cuts, making those, you know, wounds, um, more severe and you're not losing that weight. So when you're, when the lead bullet is shedding these fragments, it's losing its weight. It's losing its energy. Think about like someone running through molasses, right? Whereas the copper bullet, it's keeping its entire weight through that whole wound channel because it's not losing those pieces. And so, um, that's, that's kind of the coolest thing to see within with, you know, just watching it happen. And we have slow-mo videos of this too. But then when you look at these ballistics gels that we were talking about earlier, you can see with the naked eye with the, the copper one versus the lead one, you can see in the lead that there's these fragments um, and you can see them. You're like, Oh wow, that's a lot. Then we go and we take it to the x-ray machine, which um, we get to borrow from the Teton Raptor center and you x-ray it. And what the x-ray shows that you can't see with the naked eye is all of those tiny lead dust fragments and all of the even smaller fragments that you can't see with the naked eye that are perfectly lodged within that wound channel, within that, you know, the carcass you're going to leave out in the field or the gut pile. Um, And those, like I said earlier, those are the dangerous pieces of lead. Those are more readily absorbable than like, say the giant bullet. And typically, you know, the, the lead bullet that's left behind, like the big piece of it, um, it's, it's big enough that an animal will usually avoid that. And same with copper, um, the copper bullet, um, is big enough that the, the eagles will usually avoid it. But even if they do eat the copper versus the lead, copper is not toxic like lead is, um, And so the other thing too, when we're talking about weight retention, I think it's, um, lead bullets can lose up to 40% of their weight as they go through, whereas copper bullets retain 95 to hundred percent of their weight. So when you talk to people who are like real ballistics nuts and you talk about weight retention, they're like, Oh, that's incredible weight retention. Cause it is, it's great. It has such great knockdown power. Right. Well, that's awesome. It sounds like there's a lot of good reasons to to make that switch to copper, especially when you're hunting big game and everything. So I'm sure all the uh, hunters that are in Five Rivers and everything <laughs> listening to this podcast are really stoked right now. Um, so bringing it back to fly fishing and, and fishing in general, can we talk about some alternatives for anglers and what y'all recommend they use? Absolutely. So alternatives for anglers. So if you're using split shot, You can, instead of using lead split shot, um, they make tin split shot. You can use um, tungsten clay. You can use glass, I've seen. Um, What are some other ones? Uh, Steel, I've seen steel split shot. So most everything, so Orvis is a great company to um, have as an example. All of their um, tackle is lead-free. So you can go in, if you go to an Orvis shop, you can know, you can breathe easy that what you're purchasing is going to be non-toxic, um, which is great. Um, other companies, you just really have to read, read between the lines or, you know, call them up and be like, Hey, like what's under your fur and feathers. And they should be able to tell you. Um, so for split shot, 
you know, 10, I would say is probably the most common alternative. Now, if you're talking about jig heads, so if you're ice fishing, if you're spin fishing, you're using weighted jig heads, um, there's tungsten again, it's going to be a little bit more spendy. And then there's also tin. So those are the two biggest, um, alternatives. I've also seen brass again, steel, Um, and there's a, on our website, if you visit our website on our resources page, we have a link to a list of all these non-toxic tackle manufacturers. Oh, nice. So, um, I will not rattle them off because there's so many, which is amazing. Um, but please do visit our resources page for that list of, um, of tackle manufacturers of, of non-lead, um, tackle. And so, um, with fly fishing, I know so many people on here are probably like, oh my God, fly fishing. Let's talk about it. Come on. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize this until I started tying my own flies, but a lot of flies are tied with lead wire, you okay. know, underneath again, the fur and feathers. And so when you're tying those streamers, whether it's a sparkle minnow or a, what is it? Rusty trombone. trombone yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to, when you tie those, what you don't realize if you buy them from the shop is that underneath those feathers, there's these tight, tight little wraps of wire. And you might be like, well, that's not going to impact anything, whatever. If I lose it, I just lost $4. That's what, whatever. But back to when we're talking about water birds, especially ones that are predaceous. So like loons, herons, osprey, um, bald eagles, they will actually dive down to get tiny fish, right? And what are you mimicking with that rusty trombone? Right. A tiny fish, right? So if that gets lost and it's stuck on a root ball that you thought was a bull trout, <laughs> that is now going to become a tasty treat that's toxic for those those birds. Um, so you can go to most fly shops now, carry lead-free wire. Um, Hairline has great great selection of lead-free wire. It is a little less dense than, than lead, right? So it's because it's, it's a, I believe it's a tin aluminum alloy. Um, and so for me, what I do is I'll either do a couple extra wraps, a couple extra, um, spins, Uh or you can go up in a diameter size. So instead of using a, you know, 0.25, you might do a 0.35 or something. So it totally depends on the profile of the fly you're tying to. Um, but there's, there's so much lead free alternative wire out there for fly tying that there's, if you're into fly tying, there's no excuse to be using lead wire. Right. Yeah. And I will make sure to link the resources tab so people can have access to that. Cause that's a really cool, cool resource to have. Um, and then you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe tungsten is denser than lead, right? It will sink faster, get to the bottom quicker. You know, that is a great okay. <laughs> question. I don't think, I okay. don't think the atomic weight is heavier than lead. Let's check okay. it out. Yeah. Lead atomic weight. Um, <laughs> I just remember in, think, uh, in high school when I was big into ice fishing, we would always, I didn't know about, you know, sporting lead free, but we bought tungsten jig heads because we thought they got down quicker. Um, I could be, you know, that could have just been some high school myth so, somebody told you're me. You're so close. Ah. So the atomic mass of tungsten is 183. Okay. And the atomic mass of lead is 207. Ah, okay. So tungsten is so close. And I think that's why people really love it as an alternative because it is so dang close. Sure. Um, but yeah. Gotcha. So buy tungsten because it's lead free. I think some fishing things that tungsten is faster though. So okay. I think it totally depends on the profile of your sure. lure or your fly and, you know, just be a good steward out there and, and use tungsten. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and the price barrier is tough and I totally understand that, you know, as a college student in particular, it, it's really hard. Um, but, you know, just a word of advice to all our clubs out there, you know, work with the local fly shop, explain to them that you're trying to get your club members to be fishing non-toxic materials and be lead free. And I'm sure they'd be happy to support you by giving you 10% off or 15% off or something like that on your weights, or even who knows, maybe your whole order. So definitely work with your local shop and you know, they'll probably help you. Well, and two, I should add, if anyone is listening, um, that lives in Minnesota, there's this amazing campaign called get the lead out and you can actually trade in your lead tackle for they have lead free tackle for you. I think you can, 
I don't know if it's a one-to-one trade, but I do know that you can at least dispose of your lead tackle and they'll um, help you out in getting lead free tackle. And it's an awesome program. Um, so those of you in Minnesota, check it out. That's great. That's really good to know. So switching, switching gears a little bit, cause I really love that topic, but I'd love to hear about your work with Trot Unlimited. Um, and, and what you've done with your local Trout Unlimited and then also uh, Missoula Fly Gals, which I this is sort of a new thing to me, but uh, I've heard a little bit about it through Libby, but I'd love to hear more about that. And uh, yeah, let's, let's hear it for the girls in the uh, Five Rivers program. Woo-hoo. Well, um, good news for all the gals out there and guys. Um, so Missoula Fly Gals is um, the women's initiative part of the West Slope chapter of Trout Unlimited, which is based in Missoula, Montana. And the Fly Gals goal is to get women out there on the water and help us all feel more comfortable, not only finding places, but being self-sufficient and tying flies, landing fish, all of that. And um, right now in the wintertime through Missoula Fly Gals, we actually do online fly tying. It's a free, I don't want to call it a class because we're not amateurs who, it's totally free and open to the public. Um, It's mainly women, of course, but you guys are also welcome to join. Um, So that's Mondays at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And if you either follow us, Missoula Fly Gals, on Instagram or Facebook, um, you can find it on there. Um, And that's it's a super fun group, and it's awesome if you're new to fly tying. Like, we are super gentle with everybody. We're not going to, like, yell at you for not knowing how to whip finish. Um, So, yeah, and it's it's just super fun, fun place to learn, fun place to meet people from all over. We have a couple gals from Canada join us, which is super fun. So um, that's that's what we do in the winter in the summertime, we organize wait in Wednesdays. And so you can meet up with the fly gals on Wednesdays and we'll show you a new fishing spot. Well, if you have some questions on gear, if you are like, oh, I still don't know how to tie my fly on, we'll help you with that. We're like, cool. We can show you these crazy knots to tie your flies on. So, um, that's been a really fun group to be a part of and grow with. Um, and so that's kind of how I was helping with the West Slope chapter of Child Unlimited. I was also, and am still helping them with a lot of their outreach, um, social media and marketing. Cause again, that's my background. <laughs> it's, I love to help organizations do it. That's why I got into marketing in the first place. And so now that I'm in Idaho, um, I've recently joined the Teton chapter of Trout Unlimited and I'm the, the vice president there. So, uh, we have lots in the works, so stay tuned if you're in the um, Idaho, Victor, Idaho, Driggs, Idaho area. Um, we've got lots lots in the works, so I'm hoping to reinvigorate that chapter and and maybe even do you know online fly tying for them as well. That's awesome. I love hearing about the online fly tying for the fly gals, and that's something that I'll definitely share with my club and, and with the Five Rivers Broader Network because that's really cool and something that could honestly be you know, could happen all over the place with a lot of different Tron Limited chapters. So it's great. Absolutely. We encourage it. And it's, it's also great because it's not like you're just watching a YouTube video and trying to figure out how somebody's tying the fly. You're tying it together. You can ask questions. You can be like, why am I using that denier and not this denier? Why is this? Why is that? And that's, that's the whole, the fun, most fun about it is just learning together. That's great. Uh, do you have any advice for women that are trying to get into fly fishing or trying to get into hunting and, you know, maybe are feeling some pushback or something and just are looking for advice to how to break through, I guess. Oh my gosh. If you're feeling pushback, send them my way. I'll give them a knuckle sandwich. Hey. I'm, um, <laughs> I'm like five, three. I can't, I'm like the least threatening person. Um, no, that's a great question. And I still honestly haven't figured out, you know, the hunting aspect of it other than, trying to inject yourself into that community. So be become a part of your local organizations or clubs. So like for hunting, backcountry hunters and anglers, um, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, um, Mule Deer Foundation, Muley Fanatics, you know, all those foundations and, and organizations usually have local chapters. So don't be afraid to be the only the only woman in the room. Um, stand your ground and and you know stand proud. Um, and then there's also so many great groups out there. So there's one called Artemis Sports Women, and that's a national organization through the National Wildlife Federation. And they do a great job of having community ambassadors who then you can act 
with them as, as a mentor and mentee kind of relationship. Cause I will say being new to any activity, certainly watching somebody do it and joining them while they're doing it is a great way to learn. And again, you can ask them questions and that sort of thing. So Artemis sports women is great. Um, there's also a foundation called first hunt foundation and their focus is getting people out to hunt for the first time. Um, and that, you know, is a breadth between, um, shotgun bird duck hunting, rifle hunting, and then they also do archery hunting. And so again, they'll pair you with a local mentor and you can go out and establish that relationship. There's all sorts of camps you can join. Um, so finding those organizations that, that have that kind of mentor mentee, um, organization and then, um, joining those local groups. And then for fly fishing, um, join the Missoula fly gals. Yeah, we're in (laughs) Missoula, but like I said, we do stuff, you know, virtually it's not like you have to join. You just follow us on social media. There's no, no fee. Um, and then there's United women on the fly, which is an incredible, incredible organization connecting women across the United States. And I think now even internationally as well. Um, again, you'll find your local chapter of those gals. Um, and they have so many different Facebook groups. If you're, um, having gear questions, if you're having fly tying questions, if you're just trying to figure out where to go fishing in West Virginia, you know, whatever, there's so many resources on those, on those groups. So check those out too. I know I'm missing some, so apologies to those groups that are like, wait, you didn't mention, but um, there are just so many out there. So feel free to get in contact with me too. And I can set you up with contact information for almost all of the, well, all of the organizations I mentioned and probably even more than that. Great. That's, that's wonderful advice. So one more question here before we wrap things up, but what would you, you know, what advice would you give to someone who maybe listens to this podcast and goes, you know, hunting season comes around next and they're talking to one of their great uncles or older relatives or whatever family friends. And they're like, I'll only shoot lead till I die or whatever. Right. (laughs) How do you, how do you recommend that somebody approaches that conversation and, and sort of, you know, not tries to convince them, but just tries to show them the side of non-toxic and everything? No, absolutely. Great question. So the number one thing to know is that one, they might not know about the issue with wildlife. So do not start it by antagonizing them and coming in there with like, Oh, you're killing all the Eagles. Like they probably don't know that. So start there with just seeing where they're at with their knowledge of of that. And then secondly, you're not going to convince everybody. And we know that we're, you know, we're not unrealistic here. You might not convince your great uncle, but you might convince your cousin or, you know, whomever. And just invite them to come out shooting with you when you sight in your rifle with copper. Um, I, you know, like I said, I, I hunt, I've hunted now for several years and, you know, I started with lead and switched to copper and, um, my partner was like, Oh, copper, it's for hippies, whatever. And then he saw me take my whitetail, um, buck with it. And then he was like, Oh man, that was really cool. And, you know, we hung our deer up next to each other. He shot his two days prior and, um, I had way less bloodshot than him. And he was like, well, I want to switch cause I want to save the meat. So finding that value that that person has, whether it's, they want to value their, the unintended, you know, wildlife, they, they love eagles, they love loons, whatever it is. Um, if they want to save and have more meat to bring home because they're not getting that bloodshot from all those lead fragments. Um, if they don't want to bring home toxic meat to their, you know, fam, potentially, bring home, you know, meat to their families that contains a lead fragment, like switching for that. You know, if you're feeding your kiddos, grandkids, whatever, um, you know, lead is toxic to us too. So we don't want to consume that either. So finding, finding that kind of value that is most salient and makes the most sense for that person. Great. That's wonderful advice. And that's, that's advice you can take into any sort of, you know, not heated discussion, but disagreement, you know, <laughs> lead with empathy yeah. and, and just try to educate. So that's wonderful. Where can people learn more about sporting, sporting lead free? Are you guys on social media website? What's the best way for people to go about that? Yeah. So feel free to visit our website at sporting lead free, all one word dot org org. And we have tons of links to videos, references, resources. Everything is on there. You can go super deep. You can go super superficial, whatever. (laughs) We've got it all. Um, We're also on social media, um, Instagram and Facebook. So Sporting Lead Free on Instagram and Facebook. Um, And we have lots of great ways to get involved. You can become a free member with us. 
us, which I'll send you a koozie and a pack of stickers. Um, and that essentially just says like, Hey, here's this cohort of people who are you know, passionate about this issue. We're not going to ask you to sign a pledge or anything like that. We're just trying to show the greater community that, Hey, there are people who care about this and who want to support this. So, and you get a koozie and stickers out of it. <laughs> what? Um, we it. also have an ambassador program. You can apply to be an ambassador for both um, hunting and fishing. Um, yeah. So tons of ways to get involved. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure to link everything we talked about in the show notes. So thank you so much, Hannah, for being here. It was great to talk to you. And uh, we'll see you on the river or who knows, in the Great Plains one day, shooting chuckers or something like that. <laughs> Let's do it. We'll just be standing tall. I found out everyone's